You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music tech and music innovation. And sometimes I get to travel a little bit. I am up at 2112 up in Chicago, which is a great co-working space. They have uh, rehearsal studios. They have recording studios. It is it is an, a major hub of innovation in music and other creative industries in Chicago. It's, it, it is my launching pad when I come to Chicago. There's always great stuff happening here. And I've run into uh, somebody from Sure, Sure Microphone, Yuri Liso Ivanov, the product expert at Sure and a Chicago-based audio engineer specializing in working with singer-songwriters and small classical ensembles. His love of sound, music, and acoustics, and his friendly personality make him a stellar educator and an asset to a variety of projects across the country. In his role at Shure, Yuri builds various training sessions and creates content to help people better understand Shure products and audio engineering overall. He also works directly with musicians, content creators, and influencers to raise awareness for the Shure brand. Hey, great to have a chance to meet with you, Yuri. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I just think it, I mean, we use Shure microphones on the podcast all the time. Every, you know, I was going to say everyone uses them. Lots of people use them. They're in all sorts of settings and so forth. So it's kind of fun in your role as this kind of educator, this, this ambassador, somebody that's meeting with people, teaching people how to um, do their best miking and audio engineering. And as an audio engineer yourself, I thought it'd be fun to do like a pulse check on what's going on out there in the audio and music uh, spaces with this uh, innovation mindset that we have. I'm curious, what shifts are you seeing in the creator sphere overall in this moment in time? Where Are we post-COVID? I don't know. We're post-something. We're in the new era. <laughs> what are you seeing in your role? Great question. So uh, my role working with influencers, uh, it actually, I would say, is considerably post-COVID at this point. Uh, you know, We had a period from like 2020 to maybe six months ago or so. Uh, which would be you know, mid-2022, where uh, a lot of influencers were just doing stuff from home and a lot of new influencers started popping up because they were you know, stuck and they couldn't really go anywhere. And so they started creating the content in their house and became famous and did all sorts of really, really cool stuff. Now, I would say that the floodgates have opened. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't know if it's post-COVID objectively, but it's definitely post-COVID in the influencer world. And a lot of the influencers that I work with are traveling. They're doing a lot of stuff that they've been wanting to do for a year and a half. And now they have this pent-up kind of uh, drive to just go somewhere and go do something. So I'm working with a lot of people that uh, are either coming here to Chicago or it's like, hey, normally I'm in Los Angeles, but I, right now I'm in Florida doing this thing or I'm doing this other thing. So um, a lot more events-based creation nowadays than you know it was about a year and a half ago interesting so when you talk about influencers who, who are these people what do they do on a daily basis are you talking about youtubers and tiktokers and instagrammers or are you talking about audio producers that jet jet put together like videos about their content or how you do stuff mm -hmm. so mostly musician influencers is the are the people that i work with and a little bit of the creative kind of technology influencers um i do work with some audio engineers interestingly enough audio engineers are not uh, that active on social media, <laughs> you know, some of them are, there are a few, there are some audio engineering channels out there, YouTube channels and stuff. Some of them love working with brands. Other ones will be completely brand agnostic because they don't want to feel, they don't want their audience to feel like they're pushing one brand over another, which is totally understandable. Um, so most of the time I'm working with, uh, people that are music oriented and people that are just kind of 
they they want to know the new technology. They want the new sure stuff. They want the new other stuff that's not sure stuff. And, you know, they and because their their fans will will ask for it. They'll they'll watch and they'll go, "Can you do this product? Can you do that product?" So they're always looking for new stuff to show them. Gotcha. So um, so one of the big shifts that you're seeing is now that things are consistently opened up again, people are doing more event based uh, types of productions and and things like that. I mean, are there a lot of people that picked up audio and music for the first time during the the pandemic? or really expanded into it that you're seeing like more content being created? No, I think it's more the opposite. I think there are a couple of musicians that needed some kind of outlet for their music. And instead of just writing and releasing things on SoundCloud, they decided to go, you know what? Maybe I'll put some stuff up on YouTube. And uh, I've talked to a lot of influencers that uh, were drummers, for example, and they just started making drum videos. And um, as a result, a lot of times... They're amazing drummers. They're incredible musicians, but they've never thought about production. They've never thought about how how to look good, how to get people to watch your stuff. So you know, they they call me. I'll I'll be more or less a consultant to them, at least on the technology aspect of it, um, to help them get started and help them get, do really really cool stuff. So there has been a couple of people that uh, I've personally talked to that are just amazing musicians that want to put their stuff out, and it sounds great and it looks great. And some of them have uh, built you know hundreds of thousands to a million followers nowadays. Gotcha. So it's not so much that there was a flood of new creators, it was existing musical creators that found additional kind of mediums and, and platforms that they wanted to use. And as a result, they're kind of perfecting other aspects of their uh, artistic career because they had time. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's even branched out past music. You know, I talked to a week ago, I talked to somebody who's a chef. She's a relatively famous person in the cooking world. And all of a sudden, she wants to do a podcast. You know, like things like that happen all the time. And even though the pandemic is kind of waning, that rush for creation and that demand for people's content has not really decreased that much. I mean, it seems like it's part of a larger pattern that's been going on for a long time, like ever since, you know, DAWs and, and, and you know, computer-based studios, the whole bedroom studio thing, like launched all these distribution companies into existence because all of a sudden anyone could get could make music, not quite anyone, but you know, like more and more people could record in a way that ended up with a professional sounding recording and, and so forth. And now there's these other platforms that have emerged, whether it's on podcasting or the moment of Clubhouse or Twitter Places or YouTube or now Twitch or whatever, where people are like, oh, these are other kind of online communities or, or springboards to, to be on. So it's part of a larger thing that the, maybe the pandemic gave people time to do their homework. <laughs> to get exactly. Yeah. yeah, so people that have never even thought about doing anything like this have now just jumped out and found a community that they never even thought they would find before. Uh, especially, I just recorded somebody who plays harp. And classical harpist does some really cool, modern, interesting stuff. She's building a community on Twitch right now, which That's cool. I, I asked her about. I'm like, is there demand for this? Like, are people actually listening to you play harp on Twitch? And she goes, yeah, I get... She's the first harp player on Twitch. I don't know if she's the first, but she's she's getting up there. It's, it's yeah. just a very, very interesting thing. You know, uh, everybody... The, the way I look at it, my mindset is that everybody's either a content creator or a potential content creator. Yeah. Because even if you're not, uh, you could be working in whatever field. It doesn't have to be music. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where you're going to start making videos. You're going to start doing other things that are attached to the thing that you do to get more people to to your business. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, are there any other unexpected trends that you've seen in the use of the Shure products along the way? I mean, I find those edge cases sometimes 
as they get pushed further and further, it shows you something that's emerging. So we, you know, you've got the drummer who's doing the audio production and the video production for the first time because he had time to. You've got the harpist who's now live streaming and building an audience that way. What other little unexpected trends or, or stories do you have from from recent days? Oh man, well, I can see the most interesting thing is that these microphones that we're using right now, for example, I'm going to pitch products because you know, well, I'm, what I'm are a sure they? guy. You, you know? I'm so, borrowing them from so, 2112 so Studios. These so. are MV7s, and we have a whole line of uh, content creation tools called Motive, and this is part of our Motive line. And uh, these actually came out, the, the MV7 came out before the pandemic, and we just wanted to get into the content creator game, and we know we have a great product, we know we make really, really good sounding stuff, and... Uh, we wanted to be involved in that process. And then COVID hit immediately after we released this stuff. And all of a sudden, it just took off. You know, we, we had whatever sales goals we had for this product based on the market, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, the market just completely changed. And uh, the MV7 just started selling like hotcakes. A lot of people that were that used to be content with just whatever equipment they had all of a sudden started to want professional sounding equipment for being home and, and stuck with whatever right and um where's that usb mic i used to have exactly, in the drawer? <laughs> exactly so all of a sudden this took off and it was just it was almost like a, a a saving grace for us i mean like obviously sure is a big company we have a lot of other products but this is one of those things that took off and it's actually moderately probably slowing down a little bit now that people are getting out of this uh phase and the demand for these microphones isn't as high as it could be mm-hmm. um but it's still pretty high people are still buying them and it's great and um so that's one of those things that really really was unexpected that we're like wow this is great what um, were people using them for what do you think i mean was it everything was it zooms what um there, there's a, it's a whole mix of things you know i had a i had a friend i'm gonna shout out to my friend Corey here who runs the audio at the new york times and he uh wanted uh he had a bunch of people that are in the field and he wanted them to have a microphone that they could easily plug into their computer and that would sound great in any environment. So um, I'm going to get nerdy for a second. I hope you don't mind. Right, go for um, it. So a lot of people will buy what we call condenser microphones, which are very, very sensitive mics that uh, – I'm not going to name any competitors' names, for example. But um, they're very, very popular, and people will buy them because they are very, very sensitive and they pick up sound wherever. But during the COVID pandemic, people were recording all over the place. They were in their kitchens. They were in their bedrooms, living rooms, wherever they could set up shop, they would. And a lot of times those microphones aren't really conducive to that because they pick up everything, right? So we came out with this microphone, which is a dynamic microphone, which kind of ignores almost everything around you and focuses primarily on the voice in front of the mic. Like, yeah, you have to be a little bit closer to it, which is what you and I are doing right now. Mm-hmm. But the payoff is you get great sound in any environment. So so my buddy at the New York Times bought a couple of these for the for their correspondence because they could be anywhere and they can set up this mic and it will still actually get high quality sound. Um, and likewise, because it was a USB mic, with it had our own app, uh, people were able, or he was able to actually go in externally and go into their app and adjust their settings for them uh, if they were not particularly technically inclined. Um, Got it. So things like that, that just really, really took I mean, off. it seems like podcasts would be one where you guys have seen a huge explosion. Yeah, we have, there's so much competition in the podcast world. A lot of podcasters, I mean, a lot of podcasters use our mics in general, the SM7B, for example. Um, so this microphone, which is more cost-effective than 
the SM7B became really, really popular for podcasters as well. And we're using it, you know, in a podcast as we yeah. speak. So hopefully people... I mean, are... I started, um, you know, the, one of the first things I did when I started this podcast back in 2019, or maybe it was 2018. Yeah, 2019. Went to meet them, the, the big music industry conference in France, and brought my SM58 Shure microphones and this personal digital recorder and mm-hmm. and basically have been using those mics ever since but I called it my MVP my minimum viable podcast right but I think maybe we need to talk about I think I'm an influencer Yuri <laughs> <laughs> everyone's an influencer now you know it's I switched my my Instagram used to be just a regular old classic you know guy with an Instagram thing and now I have over a thousand followers and I switched to a creator account you know again my, my philosophy is anybody can be a creator you never know once you start putting stuff out there, you never know if it's going to catch on and people are going to start paying attention to it, Yeah, especially if it's done well. Right. All right, Yuri, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to widen out even further and just talk about trends and weak signals in the world of audio and music. We'll be right back. Hey, all you Music Tectonics podcast listeners. Shaylee here with a Music Tectonics conference update. I wanted to share with you who the finalists were in this year's Swimming with Narwhals Music Tech Pitch Competition. Finalists include AudioShake, Toonie, Opener, and Victors. Find links to all those websites in the show notes. Judges this year for the final pitch competition include Meng Ruquak with Caldecott Ventures and BandLab, Brian McMahon at Expert Dojo, and Joe Tu with Sony Ventures. The final competition is taking place on October 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific at the Low Santa Monica Beach Hotel, and there will be a reception immediately following. Get your badges for the Music Tectonics Conference at www.musictectonics.com. All right, we're back. And Yuri, as I said, I wanted to ask you, what trends and weak signals are you tracking in the world of music and audio innovation? This can this can be your audio engineering hat or, or your producer hat. It doesn't have to be your your marketing representative hat. But what what are some things that you're seeing out there um, that, that you're like, ooh, I should keep an eye on that? Mm-hmm. Well, the big trend right now that I'm really keeping an eye on is 3D audio. Mm. Um, that is taken off like crazy. And for the first time since its inception, it's gotten some really, really big names behind it. Um, so now there's a lot of competing, you know, there's, there's Dolby Atmos, obviously there's um, DTS has one, Sony has one, RO3D. So there's at least four big 3D audio competitors now. And I think um, the jury is still out. Uh, I'm gonna put on, this is my opinion hat. Okay, good. <laughs> so, um, and the, I, I think the jury's still out whether there's a demand for 3D music. I think Apple is experimenting with it. Tidal also has a couple of music mixes that are three-dimensional for people to listen to. And uh, I don't know how long that's going to stick around, but I think long-term, the concept of 3D sound is going to be a really, really big deal. You know, Once you start stepping into whatever metaverse becomes popular, right? you're going to have sound all around you. And it's, it's very, very... Uh, expensive to have surround sound systems in your house. Uh, it's much nicer to have a 3D algorithm piping into your headphones and all of a sudden you've got the entire 3D concept just with a pair of stereo headphones, which is very, very useful. Cool, so 3D audio is at the top of your list? Very much at the top of my list. I'm watching it like a hawk. <laughs> do, you, do you think there, I, I know from like an engineering perspective, it's, it's, it offers a new sort of le- level or layer of creativity mm-hmm. that whether it's music or spoken word or theater or you know something else, mm-hmm. um, it gives you something, another, another thing to sort of 
another ingredient, basically, to give listeners a chance to have their mind kind of twisted or blown or, or whatever. Do you think there's going to be enough consumer adoption of it to, um, to sort of drive the commercial success? Long term, I think so, yes. I think, uh, again, with the metaverse concept, anytime somebody's in a virtual 3D environment, 3D sound is going to follow. It's just a natural transition. Um, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity in storytelling with 3D sound. Just like yeah. you mentioned, podcasts would be like a perfectly good example of having sound effects, fly, airplanes flying over your head, or you're in a war zone and there's bullets over here and there's bullets behind you and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, and it's, the technology has gotten really, really good. Like You can listen to Dolby Atmos stuff now on headphones, and it's, it's pretty solid. So I could see it getting a foothold in those. And I, I think the jury's still out as far as music mixing goes. Uh, on 3D, but maybe there will become best practices that people really, really latch onto and really like. I mean, if there's some sort of audio quality, like almost like meme element that some super pop star does on a on a recording, and everyone's mm-hmm. going crazy for it, on you know, put on your headphones when you listen to so and so's new whatever, and then maybe everyone's like, yeah, now I want that. Right. Absolutely. I think if somebody famous starts to do, starts to do really, really cool creative stuff with it, it might lead to a not, I don't want to use the word revolution because that's kind of you know hyperbolic or whatever, but it might lead to some other people adopting it and doing other cool creative things. It's funny to think about podcasters doing it. I know on uh, um, my local community radio station, there was, I don't know if he still does it, there's a guy that did radio theater and he would play radio theater stuff on the community radio station. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea if it had an audience, whether people listened to it or not, because you know radio theater is, it's kind of old school, right? It's pre, mm-hmm. pre-TV in a way, although you have things like Prairie Home Companion that had a big following, some 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 theatrical NPR types of shows as well, and then you know came Radio Lab and yeah. um, This American Life and things where the editing, the music, and so forth became became part of. It. It's kind of funny to think about the idea that what was once considered like this passe radio theater thing could actually come back again in the form of po- podcast or any right. kind of digital right. streaming. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm also trying to pay attention to trends on social media. I'm huge, huge social media junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm trying to get sure more involved in Instagram, TikTok, all of these things, uh, just because. I think there's so much cool stuff going on there. Just in terms of like the types of content that people are creating in those spaces. Yeah. yeah. And like and TikTok is so weird. It's like a wild west, you know? It's such a weird thing. I have no one week it'll be somebody who just gets a million views, another week it'll be somebody else. A lot of uh I I just worked uh a, you know, a huge festival. I worked Lollapalooza and um it was a smaller stage that I worked, and at least five or six of the artists were at that stage because they became famous on TikTok. Oh wow. And it's just you know, it, you know, in five years, it might not be TikTok. It might be some other, right. app, some, some other yes. social media thing. But it seems like the opportunity for people to become famous out of nowhere has increased exponentially and is paying off dividends. It's interesting to think about from your perspective, working in, in music and audio with influencers to, to watch this moment in time. Because historically, there was radio promotion. Right. And then later on, blogs was the thing where music got broken. Then was the whole playlisting thing. None of that stuff... Like it didn't, there was nothing about the audio quality of those specific things that were any different than just recording a song, you mm-hmm. know? But when you talk about the things you're talking about, TikTok and Twitch and Instagram, where they're creating new audio content, audio and video content, there's an opportunity there 
where the microphone doesn't just influence the recording, but also influences the connection with fans. Right, and and we're bene- uh, we get a benefit from that because a lot of times they're already using sure mics, which is great. <laughs> you know? um, but I'm one of those people. I'm I'm very very dedicated to the brand. So every time I watch an influencer that's not using you a sure mic, see. I'm like, oh, how can I how can I talk to them about getting a sure mic? You know. Yeah. Um, so there's always that little gut reaction, but but yeah, I I completely agree. I think there's just this new this new atmosphere where uh, anybody, l- literally anybody, can do some great thing, and it just just takes off. Um, and I think we're at this kind of inflection point where, when, when when TikTok first became a thing, one of the biggest worries, is, and it always is, whenever some new content type comes out, is that it's, it's all going to be bad, right? That's the biggest fear amongst everybody. This this new way to get listeners means that there's going to be a lot of nonsense and a lot of really, really bad stuff. Uh, I think we're now at the point where it's maturing to a level where you, you can see what the good content is pretty quickly. And and that's the stuff that's getting most of the views now, which is just fantastic, yeah. at, least, at least from a music point of view. Right, yeah. So you mentioned Metaverse. I was going to ask you, what are you seeing in terms of how gaming and live streaming and Metaverse are influencing audio use and music beyond what we've already talked about? Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't talked about gaming. I don't know if that, that might be too far out of your immediate area mm-hmm. of work. But, but all of those things combined are these new, new moments. You mentioned 3D could really have an impact on Metaverse, you know, the whole Roblox thing. Um, so many other opportunities and emerging things like Decentraland and Sandbox where more and more music and audio experiences are taking place. Is that something that you're, you mentioned you're tracking a lot on social media? Are you seeing those types of things pop up? Are there things that, um, that you think about as it relates to, to the work in audio that, that you see in those platforms? Um, a little bit. I think uh, I don't pay too much attention to the gaming world. I should pay much, much more attention to it, to be honest with you. Um, I think that's an area that uh, – that's a growth area for me. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's something that I uh, need to get more involved in. Um, and so I don't pay too much attention to that. The 3D audio thing is, is a personal thing because I, I, I do think as, as the metaverse experience improves, so will the audio experience. Um, the interesting thing about the gaming world, at least the gaming and streaming world, is – there's not a rush for quality yet. Mm. That's the one thing that I've noticed because I've watched some of them. Um, I've watched a lot of the famous people and uh, some of the not-so-famous people. And that's a very, very interesting question. And I don't... This actually might be a good question to ask Sean, who's my boss's boss, who's (laughs) going to be here later today um, because I think he pays much closer attention to. But one thing that I've noticed is that a lot of... Uh, video game streamers are not at the point where they're using such high-quality stuff, mm-hmm. which uh, which I find fascinating. There are some, of course. Like, some of the ones that really, really care about their sound will buy show microphones or some high-quality competitor microphones or whatever. Uh, but a lot of times... Uh, streamers are using like $50 mics. Like right, $60 it's the like gaming headset, headset that exactly. came, came, came with a mic and that's the mic they're using. And, and to them, they never had to care about sound quality because they already have got their hundreds of thousands to millions of followers. So what do they care, right? Um, and it's always interesting. Another one that I've been paying attention to is the ASMR world, hmm. which is it's taking off a little bit. And that's another one where nobody in the ASMR world is using high high-priced, fancy really? microphones. No. I, and, and I literally did a whole research project on this for work because I was like, well, can we get ASMR people to use Sure Mics? Yeah. Why not, right? That's a great idea. Um, and, you know, that's that's a work in progress, but none of them are really using anything that 
Nice. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine you don't go, you don't do a lot of like education and training for ASMR, right? It's no, like, not it's yet. A very not yet. I'm working on it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because people will go on Amazon or some other big retailer and they'll buy whatever works and they'll make it work for them, which is interesting. And, and um, as far as Sure is concerned, we make professional stuff. We make really, really good stuff. So there's a whole segment of the consumer market that that I'm hoping as the technology improves and as the production value continues to improve, they'll start switching from these really, really cost-efficient, not-so-great mics to something that's a little bit more robust, which is what we make. Yeah. So I just spent five hours driving up to Chicago to, <laughs> to, to, to be that. here today. Now it was gr- <laughs> mostly it was mostly great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this interesting role as this market development specialist at, at Sure that's region-specific. I'm curious... Mm-hmm. Do you have a perspective on regionally what's going on in Chicago or the Midwest or, or something that relates to your work versus what you hear from reps in, in other parts of the country? Or or do, are you just aware of kind of like regional differences? I mean, we think about everything being so centralized with the internet that everything is everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Chicago's got its own flavor. It does. And what a great question. Um I don't think it's too different. Uh, to your point, though, I will say this. My equivalent in uh, Los Angeles, or it's actually technically San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, he is much more into the game market than I am because TwitchCon is over there in, right. in San Diego. And so is a lot, a lot of the video game events, live events, which we all do as market development people, uh, happen in his backyard. So he's usually the one that's there, and he's much more plugged in to the video game world. Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, there is actually a regional thing. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, Austin is part of my territory, and there's a lot of game stuff happening in Austin, Texas. So again, it's, it's a growth area for me. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep it honest and say that I'm not that involved in that part of the industry, but I really should tr- start. <laughs> so what wh- when you're if I were to ask your LA guy that mm-hmm. and, and he was like, "Oh, Yuri, mm-hmm. now what he knows about in Chicago is Oh well, man, uh microphones, live sound, streaming setups, um and, and podcasting is really really my I jam. mean, WBEZ's in Chicago, mm-hmm. which is where this American Life ca- originally yes. came out of. So there yep. is it does kind of seem like it's Chicago has a little bit of a a heritage in that world. It does. In the Midwest, you know, I have I have good friends that work for Minnesota Public Radio, Another one. so yep. a very very popular um public radio. You know, we have a lot of broadcasting here in Chicago and in the Midwest. Um we have a ton of festivals. So many concerts, so many uh, especially in the summer because of the weather. Um, it, it's been nonstop for me. I'm flying to Birmingham in two days to do a festival in Alabama. Nice. I'm going to Austin City Limits in a couple of weeks to work with um, the BMI folks in, in Austin City Limits. Um, so I'm very, very active in the music, live music side. world, yeah. uh, which, is, which is great. The podcasting world is interesting because we don't really have, as, as you just mentioned, we don't really have geographic barriers in that world. So right. if there's a podcaster in Florida, which may or may not be my territory, that has a question that I can answer, they'll talk to me. Like yeah. that's, and we're not, the, the market development team, we're not so geared on this is my territory, this is whatever. We, we just want to be helpful. It's one sure, it's one company. We want to make sure that people get the answers that they need. Cool. Well, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, um, I want to talk about what your sources are for info that you're tracking. <laughs> we'll be right back. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. 
head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. All right, we're back. And I always like to ask people that are in a position like yours where you're, you are kind of an influencer of influencers in your way too. You're <laughs> tracking them, you're finding out what they're up to, and then you're helping them kind of augment their production. What are your sources for tracking the broader trends, the audio world, and so forth? Are there magazines or blogs or YouTubers or events, trade shows? Where, where do you find uh, our great sources of information? This is an awesome question. And the, the most honest answer is that I actually don't look at magazines and blogs as much as I used to. Mm. And the reason why is because now I have a direct line to the influencers themselves. And, you know, the, the old adage that that uh, once, it's, once it's in print, it means it's already too late kind of thing yeah. really, really comes true in the influencer, the podcasting, and the entertainment world. And, and it's, it's great for general public consumption, um, but really to understand industry trends, you have to be in the weeds, which is great because that's my job. Right. I absolutely love that aspect of it. Um, so I actually talk to influencers pretty regularly. Well, I'll send them a text, just say, hi, what's up? You know, and I'll ask questions. I'll, uh, there are times where I pitch content ideas and there are times where they come back to me and like, no, my, my fans are gonna, uh, that's gonna get 30 views because my fans don't care about this, right? Um, and I believe them. Yeah. Influencers know their audiences. And I, so my biggest, feeder of information as far as the influencer world goes is them. Right. Um, they don't make that many mistakes as who their audience is. It's great. Um, but as far as broader industry trends, I generally uh, will go to trade shows and talk to people at the trade shows. A lot of times people will just come to me because, you know, I've been, I've been here for about a year now. So now people have gotten to know me a little bit and they go, hey, you know what? I have an idea. I need to go talk to Yuri. He'll push it up to whoever or, you know, there's a couple of us that do that. but. Yeah. So when you say trade shows, are we talking NAM, National Association mm -hmm. of Broadcasters? Yep. Yeah, so NAM show is a big one for me, um, and uh, AES also. Uh, I don't go to NAB, but uh, we have equivalents of mine that yeah. do go to NAB and do the same job, essentially. Um, CES would probably be another C one of CES, we don't participate in currently, but maybe we will one day. Yeah. Um, but I do go to a lot of the smaller trade shows, smaller events that are kind of regional and, and uh, relatively so local. So like Sweetwater uh, I, I do Gear Fest, <laughs> yes. I love, oh my gosh, Gear Fest was so fun. Um, I absolutely love going to Gear Fest. We have people on my team that go to like Podcast Movement and PodFest. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know, we try to cover our bases geographically pretty well, but uh, it is through my experience that going to the smaller shows is actually a little bit better because you get more face time. Yeah. You know, with, the, you know, with NAM, the big issue is there's only so many of us at NAM, and there's just thousands of people coming at us. So there's really not a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction that I can have with somebody and really, really get information or they can get information from me. Yeah, so. it'll be interesting to see what happens with NAM in April this year because it's a different time of year. Yeah, the rainy season. <laughs> yeah, rain, rainy season and just, mm -hmm. and as, as far as I know, it's talking to the NAM folks, it sounds like this is the only year it's going to be in April. Next, Correct. the following year, they'll go back to January. It's yes. like this, this pivot year just between all the date shifts related to the pandemic and so forth. Mm -hmm. But uh, maybe it'll be a little bit smaller. Maybe, I don't know, and we'll get more FaceTime. Maybe I'll see you there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, come, come by. I will be there, so please come by the Sherbooth and, and, and say hi. But yeah, I mean, the smaller shows are great because I can spend 20 minutes 
talking to somebody in the industry that I would not be able to do at NAM. I will not be able to do it at AES because they're just too busy. So yeah. So I have, my personal focus is to work the smaller events so yeah. that I can meet people and you know, are, have lunch with them. Are, what, what are some really cool small events you really like? Um, I Last year, South by Southwest had a podcasting week. Oh, cool. And I thought it was really, really cool. I'm hoping we'll be a part of it again this year. Um, I'm th- There's some changes that need to be made. Uh, but in general, it was very, very low key. We got FaceTime with almost all of the people that came by. You know, I would have conversations for a good 30 to 45 minutes. Customers would tell us what they wanted. Um, I would talk to the talents here and there whenever they were available. Sometimes they would just come in and out. So, you know, I can't really change that. But, um, but that one is a really, really cool one. I'm really, really happy that South by Southwest is kind of making this little space specifically to podcasting rather than yeah. jamming it as part of their regular content. Um, so that was really, really cool. Um, in, in the same in the same vein, a lot of the big festivals that I work, I tend to work on the smaller stages because, you know, I get I get FaceTime with artists that are just up and coming. And for me, again, I'm market development, right? So I'm trying to be in the innovative part of the market business, right? I'm not I'm not gonna be the one talking to Green Day, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna we have we have guys at sure that talk to yeah. Green Day, right? Yeah. I'm gonna be talking to the next Green Day. And Got that's it. And that's a really, really fun, adrenaline-inducing kind of thing where I'm talking to these brand-new artists. Some of them, maybe they're playing their first festival ever and uh, you know, showing them sure stuff and talking to them about our products and hanging out with them, having beers. Like, It's, it's really, really cool. Those, those things are much more valuable to me and I think to our brand long-term than constantly pushing the, the top of the heap. Right. Yeah. Cool. Hey, you did mention that you get a lot of your tips from influencers. Are there any um, any YouTube channels or Instagram handles that you want to shout out of influencers that you're like, if you want to learn about yeah. good mics or see some good production or anything like that, anyone you want to shout out? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, what are the ones that you go back to time and time again? The, the ones. See, the the funny thing about influencers, the ones that I hang out with the most are the ones that are just really really cool and. And um, it might not be that their content is the ideal content, but they're the ones that I can trust to, mm. to do cool stuff. Um, so like so, they're doing cool stuff musically speaking, yes. and they just so, so happen to be using mics. Yeah, yeah. So for example, I, w- I work with this guy named Sean Daniel. Sean, if you're listening to this, hello. Um, he's out of Florida. He's a guitar influencer. Um, great guitarist. Awesome, awesome guy. Super, really, really, really nice guy. Has hundreds of thousands of followers or so. Um, and... He just loves talking about gear. Mm. He, he's it's a guitar YouTube channel, but he'll talk about microphones. He'll talk about recording equipment. He'll talk about whatever. And he's got a very very broad base of of listeners. Some of them are very very audio focused. Some of them are very guitar focused. Um, and that's cool because that hits two things for me. It gets me access to people that already know our brand, which are the audio people, and to a whole swath of people that play guitar and have never looked at a Shure mic before. Uh, now they go, oh, hey, maybe I should go check this out. Um, and that's that's really, really useful. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great. Well, this has been a blast talking to you. Uh, love hearing just sort of your perspective and insights. Again, you know, you're, you're talking to so many different people about this. And as a result, I think you're, you're able to kind of see some interesting trends emerging and so forth. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I think it was a blast. Yuri, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. 
While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.